Hi everyone and welcome to the Shear. This Parsha Shear is sponsored by Maggie and Michael Bayer in memory of Maggie's father, Louis Magenheim, Usher Ben Dov Zichroina Livrocha, whose yard site is on the 22nd of Elo. His Neshama should have an Aliyah and uh, we should all be Zeicher to see Tchias Hamesim. Parshas Nitzovim, as those of you who have been uh, listening and watching my Parsha Shear for a number of years, you'll know that uh, I have a a fondness and affection for Parshas Nitzovim because it's my Bar Mitzvah Parsha. And this year we're going to address uh, the, the beginning of the Parsha, which is, sets the stage for the new covenant. Um, it's a preparation covenant for the nation that is about to enter into the Promised Land. That covenant, uh, the Bris uh, in the Arvois Moyov, in the plains of Moab, took place uh, uh, you know, sh very shortly before Moshe Rabbeinu died, it was one of his final addresses to the Jewish people, and he gathered everyone together. Every single person, that's the first couple of psukim of Nitzovim, describes every single possible of, uh, category of person that could have been gathered together, whether you were old or young, whether you were a scholar or a simpleton, whether you're a man or a woman, every single person every kind of person was gathered together for this seminal moment, this important moment uh, in the advent of Jewish nationhood in their own sovereign country. And that's how we're going to begin the Shir today. We're going to read uh, just extracts of that posuk. We're going to look at an Asiva Sholem who says that the posuk, and that's the focus of today's Shir, the posuk is really something that can be used as a method to understand the concept of Teshuvah and of Rosh Hashanah. How timely he begins his piece. How timely is it that we always read Nitzavim before Rosh Hashanah? It is, it is always the case that we read Parshat Nitzavim before Rosh Hashanah, sometimes together with Vayelech, as was, as was the case when I was Bar Mitzvah, but sometimes not if there's a Shabbos between um, Sukkot and Yom Kippur, then Shabbos Shuva becomes Parshas Vayelech, which is a very short Parsha, 30 Psukim. Nitzavim was also short. It is 40 Psukim. So now we have three Shabboses between now and, uh, and Sukkot. So we're going to split up uh, the Parsha of Nitzavim Vayelech, which is often read together, and we're going to read Nitzavim this week, and next week we're going to read Vayelech. Atem Nitzavim Hayoim Kulchem. You are standing here today, all of you, Lifnei Hashem Eloikechem, before God your God, Roshechem, Shiftechem, the heads of your tribe, Ziknechem, your elders, Vashaitrechem, your guards, maybe your policemen, Kol Ish Yisrael, every Jew is standing here today. Um, we've dealt in the past, I've written about it, I've spoken about it in the past, that it's interesting that the Posuk says, Kol Ish Yisrael, after having described a number of categories, we're going to see, we're going to integrate that, not directly, but indirectly, into what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so, Tapchem Neshechem, your children, your wives, the ladies, to go into a covenant with God, your God. That The whole idea here is that we're setting the scene, Moshe Rabbeinu is setting the scene by gathering everyone and telling them that they are all gathered at that moment in order for them to conduct themselves in this covenant with God. Says the Nesivus Sholem, 
Isa Bisforim Akdoshim, all the holy books, the commentaries, speak about the fact that this particular parsha is always read before the new year, before Rosh Hashanah. Why? Because it happens to hint at the concept of the Day of Judgment, the Yom Hadin, which is of course represented by Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where the Yom Hadin is actually split into two. We have a beginning Yom Hadin, which is Rosh Hashanah. We have a, an end Yom Hadin, which is, which is Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is two days. There's exactly a week of seven days in between. Then you have Yom Kippur. We have the Aseris Yom Tshuva. But this concept of Yom Hadin, of there being a day of judgment, that there is a day upon which God judges the world, and that's the theme, in fact, of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur davening. That's why we read... Parshas Nitzovim. That is why we read it always before Rosh Hashanah because it's hinted, it hints at the Yom Hadin. How come? Advada Isa Bezer HaKodesh, the Zohar, the Kabbalistic work, the Zohar says, Shehayoim, the word Hayoim, happens to be a code word. If you see the word Hayoim, it has a meaning in and of itself besides for the fact that it means the day. What does it mean? The word Hayoim, when you see it, is a reference to the Yom Hadin, is a reference to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Now we need to, now that we know that Nitzovim, Atem Nitzovim Hayoim Kulchem, is talking about Yom Hadin, now we need to understand why that should be the case. What was the intent behind the fact that Nitzovim is being used as somehow uh, a remez to Rosh Hashanah? What does it mean? Atem nitzavim hayoim beyoim de dinner. Says the Nesivas Sholem. You are standing here today on Rosh Hashanah. Kulchem, all of you. Lifnei Hashem lo'ikeichem, before God, your God. Rosheichem, shitechem, ziknechem, shoytreichem, etc. Adshayed meimecha, till the one who draws water. What is it talking about? All these different categories of people, all different walks of life are... Uh, are mentioned individually. Those different walks of life are each categorized. Why would that be the case? Because says the Nesivas Sholem, here the Torah wants to mention the ten different levels of people who are represented by these categories, who, are, who make up society, the society of Klal Yisrael, of the Jewish people. Loimar shall call echad yeshdim bifnei atzmai, to tell you that each version of din, of justice, that the uh, uh, Almighty, that God is going to bring upon the Klal Yisrael, on the Jewish nation, each type of person will be judged on the basis of who they are and what they are. And the fact is that the Yom Hadin, the Rosh Hashanah, the Yom Kippur of a great person, is absolutely different. It cannot be compared to the Yom Hadin of an ordinary person, somebody who hasn't reached the levels of a great man. Everybody is judged, everybody is going to be considered by God according to who they are and according to their level. He gives one example. There are other examples, but he brings immediately an example. He says, somebody who is an ordinary individual is going to be judged by their actions in terms of 
Did they do the Avera or didn't they do the Avera? Did they actively engage in a sin or didn't they actively engage in a sin? That being the case, uh, if they did engage in a sin actively, they did the thing, whatever it was that was wrong, then they're going to be judged on that basis. However, that it, uh, a great person, somebody who is advanced in their spiritual level, will be judged even for the thoughts that they have had which are inappropriate or which might have led them to sin or perhaps are in and of themselves sinful because they should be at a higher level spiritually. They should, in their minds, be conscious of the fact that that's not what they should be thinking and should have curtailed their thought processes to make sure that that doesn't happen. A, uh, a great person, man or woman, is going to be judged even for thoughts that are inappropriate. That is the difference between, let's say, Ziknechem and Shoyev Meimecho. That's, that's an interesting distinction that we'd never thought about. But here we have it. You're all standing here today. You may think you're all going to be judged equally. But I want to tell you, the Shoyev Meimecho, the water drawer, is not going to be judged in the same way as Ziknechem or Shoytrechem, etc. Each person will be judged according to their merit, to their standards, to the level that they have reached. The fact that it mentions wood choppers and water drawers, it's talking about people who are not necessarily deep thinkers. They're not necessarily people who have deep theological view or, um, or understand the world or understand religion, understand what it, their place is in the world why God created them. They just know that they have rules that they have to follow. They have to get up in the morning. They have to do what they have to do as a Jew. Then they go to sleep at night. They've got the basic knowledge of what it means to be a Jew, but there's not, not a great intellectual process that they put into that in order to do it. Even they have a tshuva process. They have a tshuva process which is relevant to them, relevant to their level. They're going to be judged at their level. They're not going to be judged at the level of a great intellect, somebody who has a depth of understanding of what it means to be a Jew, what it means to be a believer in God, someone who has faith in God. That's because every person has their place and they have to fulfill their role, whatever their, their role may be. For some people, it's going to be a role of a woodchopper or a water drawer. Simple people, they have their role. Pintalayid. They have what uh, they have the concept of a God in their head, whatever it is. It's very simple. It's quite black and white. They know they must keep mitzvahs. They do what they do. And if they don't do it, they'll be judged on that basis. Whereas if somebody who is a great person, an Adam Godel, one of the Godola HaTorah, they are a Ben Torah, somebody who studied Torah, has a depth of understanding in Torah, and he behaves like a simpleton, he behaves like a water drawer, or a woodchopper, then of course they're going to be judged harshly for the fact that they didn't live up to the expectations of their own progress, of their own level. That's something which is brought out in this uh, very early part of Parshat Nitzavim. And so, it, so far, and this is a fascinating point, it's an incredible insight, uh, what uh, what the Nesivas Sholem is telling us now is that we've just made a sweeping judgment on a group of people. So we know that there's a group of people and that group of people is divided into 10 categories and those categories have been enumerated in the Torah in those first few psukim 
of Parshat Nitzavim. However, he says something fascinating. He says even within an individual himself or herself, there are ten categories. Listen. Each individual has different, ten different categories in and of themselves in their behavior and in their character. There are times when within your personality that you know you're behaving at your best and you are at your best there is an intellectual involvement or perhaps there's a depth of understanding in terms of your emotions, your faith in whatever it is that you're doing. But there's other times in a person's life when they don't have that level of control or that level of intellectual um, capacity uh, in the way that they behave. They've, they've, they're behaving at the level of a shayv meimecha for, for whatever reason. And each person is going to be judged whether they are in a ziknechem situation or whether they are in a shayv meimecha situation. In other words, if you're in a shayv meimecha situation, you won't be judged harshly because you didn't behave like your ziknechem personality aspect and whereas if you are in your ziknechem personality aspect and then you behave like a water drawer or wood chopper then you will be judged for that so within a person there's shades of gray there's these 10 levels these 10 categories all of you all of you here in the individual sense that every single part of you is standing before god which is yom hadin yom adadina as the Zohar says, you'll stand here, every single aspect of you is standing before God on the Yom Hadin. You're not going to be judged for something you did in confusion. And it's a mistake when, when he uses the word honesty, it doesn't mean like an onus. It means like you would never have done it if you would have been in your right mind. You would, have be, you would have acted with more consideration. But at that particular moment, there was confusion. You, you know, you're, you're involved deeply in something, let's say, and you, you didn't have a shachris mincho mariv, or you missed the right time for saying Kriya Shema. So in an ordinary situation where it's absolutely possible for you to do it and you didn't do it, you'll be judged on the basis of a ziknechem sin. But when you didn't do it because you were, I don't know, traveling on a journey or in the middle of some crazy phone call and you got very distracted and you weren't looking at the clock. So that you'll be judged on a shayv meimecha aspect of your personality because clearly at that particular moment you weren't at the level of ziknechem um, or um, you weren't at the level of a sheichem or shivteichem. So, Eino doma mash osu v'yosma vubavu onus, lemaasav be'is heyoisoi be'yishov hadas uvegadlus hamoichin. Obviously, somebody who's in a situation where they are in their full capacity, in every aspect of who they are, they're going to be judged on that basis. But if somehow your capaci- capacities are diminished, then you're going to be judged on that basis. Continues in the Siva Shalom Vashayach Inyan Zeh Gam Legabe Tshuva. And we can understand this. In fact, we can use this as a method to interpret the concept of Teshuva, of repentance. Shalakol Echad Yesh Bazer Madrega Bifne Atzma. For every person, there is a Teshuva that fits to them. Don't think tshuva is a one-size-fits-all. It's not possible to judge tshuva on that basis because not the, the type of tshuva that one person does doesn't necessarily apply to another person. Listen to what he says. Give me an example. If an ordinary person 
is rude to the king. He meets a very great person, a great leader, doesn't know exactly who that is or doesn't know the meaning of what, what that person's status represents. So doesn't, you know, meets the president of the United States, has no idea what it means to be president of the United States, has never heard of the United States or the president. And there they stand and he says something rude or insulting or is just dismissive of that individual. Okay. So, of course, we're using this as a, as a way of understanding their relationship with God. We use Bosar Vodom as examples of understanding how we're meant to understand our relationship with God. A king is the highest form of, uh, of, a, of the human achievement in terms of leadership. That's always the, uh, the go-to example when we're trying to understand how we're meant to relate to Hashem. A melech, a king, somebody who has supreme power over other human beings. So if we don't understand what that supreme power means, what does it mean, by the way? To be a king means you can, um, you can sentence someone to death. You can take away all their possessions. And in fact, that's what happened over many centuries when there was monarchies, there were royal families. What they would do is that they would decide that somebody didn't deserve to die. They'd throw them uh, in England. They would get thrown into the Tower of London. They'd get executed. In France, they'd get guillotined. You know, the fact is that the, um, the supreme power has the power to take away life and to take away material possessions. That if you don't know that that person has that power, obviously you're going to relate to them just like you relate to your neighbour next door. You've got no idea who that person is because you're not, you've not been educated, not been trained, you've just not been informed. So if an ordinary person says something rude to the king, they're going to be judged on the, bas- on the basis um, of, uh, of, on the fact that they don't know, they just have no concept of what it means to be in the company of a king. Because they, why? Because they don't understand how great the king is. And how terrible it is. How terrible it is for somebody to mistreat the king. That's not the way you behave towards a king. Therefore, if you expect him to apologize, if somebody says, to, excuse me, you're just very rude to that man, you have to say sorry, he's going to go. He's going to say sorry. If he, if he feels sorry, he's going to say sorry to the king in the same way as he'd say sorry to his neighbor or friend, because that's the way he considers the king, just like an ordinary person from around the corner. Why, why is that? However, if there is a person who understands what it means that that person he's insulting is the king. For example, he comes from one of the king's entourage. He's one of the sorry hamelech. The way he says sorry is the way he says sorry to his next door neighbor. Even if he does regret having said the rude thing, but he just says sorry like he'd say sorry to any person. It's just like saying sorry to somebody, you know, that you didn't treat them nicely or you, you weren't as polite as you should have. But that's not the way you say sorry to a king. And it, it means that they haven't actually done teshuva because the level of sorry hasn't reached the correct level that one has to reach in order to say sorry to the king. You're just saying sorry, just like kind of say, oh, oh, sorry, did I, did I trip you up? Did I say something rude? I apologize. That's not the way you do it. Says That in and of itself becomes a sin. It's a new sin. This becomes an Avera in and of itself. 
that you have done something to someone and the way that you've tried to reconcile with that person has not been up to standard of what that person would expect or should expect. Somebody comes to Yom Kippur, the Yom Hadin, is banging on his chest. He's saying, Oshamnu, Bogadnu, Gozalnu, Dibarnu Doifi. He's saying all of those things in the confessional. He's trying to repent. He's trying to go back and uh, reconcile himself with Hashem and doing it in such a way, but the type of way that he would do it with just any, any old person. If he doesn't really understand what it means, what he's saying, he doesn't get the depth of what it means to have done something bad um, for God or to God. Then what's the point of having said Oshamnu Bagadnu? Chuva Kazu Hi Atzma Chait. This in and of itself becomes a sin. In fact, we say one of the things that we say um, uh, uh, on Yom Kippur is Vidui Peh. Just saying the Vidui. What does that mean, Vidui Peh? It means that when you confess to your sin, you just confessed it was your mouth that said it. But in your heart, you didn't feel any form of confession or apology. Um, you, know, you weren't contrite in, uh, for the fact that you committed the sin. That's called Vidui Peh. That in and of itself is a, seit for, uh, uh, a sin for which you need to say, The You should know that it's even worse to do Tshuva badly than the actual sin that you committed for which you're doing Teshuva. Do you know why? It's perfectly logical. Because why, why did you do the sin in the first place? Because you've got something called a Yetzirah, you've got something called an evil inclination that directs you in the wrong direction, puts you in the wrong direction, sticks you in a place which is far away from Hashem, and because you just have this feeling, I need to do the Avera, I need to do the Avera. You can't get away from it because the Yetzirah is constantly bugging you to do the Avera. That's why you did the Avera. So it's not that it's an excuse, but at least there's a rationale there. There's some, there's some way of understanding it. Ah, ah, ato. But right now when you're doing Shuva, what's going on? Keshashov hareyu biyushubadas. When you're saying, I'm doing Teshuva now, why are you doing Teshuva? I did something wrong. That means you really understand you did something wrong. It's not the emotions of the moment. It's the fact that you know that you need to do Teshuva for what you've done wrong. In which case, you can't do sort of a half-hearted Teshuva because then the whole point is lost. You've got to do Teshuva to the maximum basis that you need to do it for. It has to eat you up inside you that you've got this Chet, this outstanding debit in your account that you need to get rid of. You need to go from the red into the black. You need to make sure that your account is full of mitzvahs, not full of averis, and it should bother you when you've got a negative balance in your account. And on that basis, you're doing teshuva. But if it's vidui pair, if it's just teshuva without any meaning, then what's the point of doing it? And in and of itself, it becomes a sin. And the Balbei Savram, one of the early Slonim Rebus, he once said, B'Shabbos Shuvah, he said as follows, in his Shabbos Shuvah drosha, he expressed it so beautifully. He said, I just hope, he says, I really am doubting that my sins have been already forgiven. Don't forget, Shabbos Shuvah comes after Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur is for those who have not succeeded on Rosh Hashanah 
in um, achieving the level of tshuva that they need to do. We don't do tshuva on an official basis on Rosh Hashanah, but we try and reconcile ourselves to God by recognizing His greatness, and we hope um, uh, through that that we are uh, we are able to cleanse ourselves of sin and we only have Yom Kippur because we're nervous that we didn't achieve that level of closeness to Hashem on Rosh Hashanah through Malchias, Zichronus and Shofros and therefore we have Yom Kippur when we confess all our sins and we go through a proper fulsome um, formal program of Teshuva so that we can achieve that. Now he's on Shabbos Shuvah and he's saying to himself, I really, really hope that the tshuva, um, that I've been forgiven for the sins that I committed. If that's not the case, how will I find place for myself? How can I live? How can I look, look myself in the eye if, I've, if that's not happened? If I've got a in in my account, if my account is in debit, he says, and in Yiddish he said, I should bury myself in shame alive if I've got still avoinus, if I still have sins accredited to me. And in fact, those who are watching him say this um, understood that that's really the way he felt. And the Nesiva Shalom is using this as an example of a great man who understands what it means to do Teshuvah. Teshuvah in and of itself is a test of one's faith in Hashem and of one's ability to understand how one should behave if one has sins which have accrued over the past year. And when you did kapar, use the carbon. The carbon was just a vehicle. It was a means to an end. We needed to, uh, to do tshuva, and we brought the carbon chatos. Now you bring a carbon chatos. When a Jewish person brings the carbon chatos, the whole point is you only bring the chatos once you recognize that you've done the avera and you've made vidui. You've done. You've corrected whatever the mistake was in terms of the sin, and now you bring the chatos. But if in this final moment of the process of bringing the chatos, it was not considered to be correct, it somehow didn't reach the full depth of what it needed to reach in order to achieve that reconcilement with God. Chazal tell us that the smoke that rose above the Mizbeach would take on the form of a dog. Of, it, of, the, of the look of a dog. You could actually tell the dog features in the smoke. And only if that's what they saw, that this person who was doing the tshuva would then cry a lot and just go all the way in terms of doing tshuva. Suddenly, this fire, this smoke, or whatever it was, would turn into the shape of a lion's head. So suddenly, it changed from a dog face to a lion's head, and then you'd know that your tshuva had been accepted. It was an indicator. Now, this didn't happen, said the Nesiva Shalom, to somebody who hadn't done tshuva already, because you don't bring a carbon chatos if you're not doing tshuva. You only bring the carbon chatos because you want to do tshuva. So you've already gone through the process of repentance. You've already said your vidui, and now you bring the chatos as the final act. And even then, at that stage, it could be that you haven't achieved what you needed to achieve in order to have done teshuva properly. Um, 
Remember something very important, he says. You want to do tshuva? It's got to be with the same excitement, the same energy, the same force, life force, that you put into the original Avera. It can't be lackluster. It can't be half-hearted. It can't be just something that you do, okay, shrug your shoulders, I'm doing tshuva now. Because when you did the Avera, you were passionate about it. You wanted to do that Avera. You got yourself into the mood and you did the Avera. That's the level of energy that you have to put into the tshuva, the same energy that you had when you did the Avera. The Posik says in Tehillim, and this is the interpretation, So, Mizmar Ladovid is a psalm. Uh, to David, that uh, that David composed when when Nosan Hanavi came to him to discuss with the fact with him that he had misbehaved with Bathsheba. That was quite a story. He sinned with Bathsheba, and we know what the Gemara says. But it's an incredible moment in David Hamelech's life. He had somehow uh, broken through a red line, and he'd behaved in a way that he shouldn't have behaved. So this, um, this particular mizmor, this psalm, was written with the same passion or sung with the same passion that David HaMelech had put into the original sin. David HaMelech, by the way, is the paradigmatic um, tshuva figure in the whole of Tanakh. If you're looking for somebody who embodies the concept of teshuva, David HaMelech. David HaMelech is the one on whom we base our teshuva process. And many of the Psalms are indicators of, of the way he was thinking at particular moments in his life and his expressions of prayer at the, in those moments. And of course, he needed to do teshuva for the sin he had done with Bathsheba. And that being the case, he was as passionate at that moment when he sang this beautiful Psalm, this poem to God, as he was when he originally set about sinning with Bathsheba. And that's how you do Teshuvah. The way David HaMelech did Teshuvah is the way that, um, that you need to do Teshuvah. We need to do Teshuvah. We need to put in that same passion, that emotion that we put into it when we first did the original sin. So how do we achieve this level of Teshuvah? Where are we going to do that? What, what is the process or what is the intellectual process that is required in order to achieve that type of teshuva, you need to have proper understanding about how bad this hate is for you. For example, I'll give you an example which is uh, um, a medical example. If you've got certain medical behaviors that lead you, or sorry, certain life behaviors that lead you to have a bad medical condition, the first thing you need to understand is that the reason why you've got these medical problems is because of your life behavior. For example, smokers know that, uh, or are told, that because they smoke, they are more likely to get certain forms of cancer. So the first thing you need to know is how dangerous it is to smoke. That's the first part that you need to understand before you can go about worrying uh, about the development of the cancer. And that being the case, that being the case, that's how we're meant to do teshuva. We need to understand the goidel hachet, the hakara lifnei michota, and then we need to also have an understanding about um, in front of whom, as it were, we have sinned. First, we need to understand the sin. Then we need to understand the person who is uh, um, not person, the God 
to whom we have sinned. And that's why the Posuk, which of course we now understand is a remes for Rosh Hashanah, says, you need to understand who you're standing in front of. You're standing in front of God. Imagine the type of uh, fear, how you need to stand, the awe, that's the right word, the awe that you need to have when you're standing in front of a king. And here we're talking about the king of kings. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, do you know what you're doing Hayoim today on Rosh Hashanah? You're standing before Hashem. You need to understand that. You need to appreciate it. You need to get that into the deepest part of your being in order for you to do Teshuvah. Because if we haven't achieved that depth of understanding how bad it is to sin, and on the uh, and on the in the other part of it, understanding in front of whom we are sinning, then what's the point? Then you've completely lost track of the whole plan here. The plan is we need to do teshuva. But if you don't know that the sin is bad and you don't know that God is important, then what's the point of doing teshuva? Because that in and of itself becomes the sin that you have no recognition of the severity of the sin, nor of the um, awesomeness of God. Another one of the early Slonim Rebbe says as follows, the Posik says, The Karnim, when they come to the Oihel Moed, when they come to the outer sanctuary, they have to wash themselves with water. The word Mayim is a remez, is a hint at tshuva, at the repentance process. Which washes and purifies a Yehudi, a Jewish person, because tshuva is like a cleansing process. You're putting your neshama into the washer and you're making sure that it gets washed and it gets cleaned. So, Mayim, um, the word Mayim in that sentence in that posuk refers to teshuva. Mayim is something that cleanses. What does it mean when it says Fascinating idea. You need to even wash the teshuva. The teshuva in and of itself is, is, is not going to be enough if it's not fully cleansed. If there's no clarity about what the teshuva process is about, then in and of itself it's bad, it's dirty water. You need to yirchatsu amayim. You need to wash the teshuva. You need to make sure that the teshuva is, is cleansed. And therefore, she'im teshuva Because if the teshuva is done without a, a too deep of a thought process, then that in itself is a sin. Now you have to do teshuva for having done teshuva wrong. So that's an extremely important point that is brought out at the beginning of Parshas Nitzavim. That's why all these different categories are enumerated at the beginning of Nitzavim. In every aspect of who you are. There's a Shoyv Memecho part of you. Okay, you've got to deal with that. There is a Roshechem Shiftechem part of you. You've got to deal with that. There's a Ziknechem part. Well, every aspect of who you are has to have a Tshuva process. And you can't apply the same process to one part of who you are to another part of who you are. I'll give you an example. There's some people for whom one sin is something they would just never consider. 
but they may have once done it, okay? Then there's another sin, they're very weak when it comes to that sin, whatever it is. I'll, I'm going to give just two examples. They're random examples, and then it's not important that one, uh, that they're both ritual mitzvahs. Um, uh, one is something that you might never consider, might, might be something that you do consider, and I'm, I'm not addressing any individual who's watching this video or listening to this particular um, podcast. Some people find it extremely difficult to keep kosher. It's just not in their you know, character to have to worry about looking for a heksha on everything that they eat. But when it comes to Shabbos, they never break Shabbos. It would never occur to them to break Shabbos. In fact, they bring in Shabbos early and they wait 72 minutes, and that's something that's no problem whatsoever. Then there's other people who would never touch an item of food that doesn't have a heksha, and their kitchen is so separate that they have, it's almost as if they've got two kitchens, one is milchik, one is fleshik, and maybe another one that's parav. Their kashras is 1,000%. But when it comes to Shabbos, they're not so fussy. And Shabbos comes, you know, it's after Shki already, it's getting a bit darker. No, no, I'm still, I need to go take a shower. And they can't, they're looking at their watch. As soon as there's even half of three stars on the sky, they're already ready to break Shabbos or to end Shabbos. So for some people, Shabbos, and even on Shabbos, you know, if something needs to be done, they're not too fussy about it. You know, if they, if they find themselves in a situation where they break Shabbos, they don't particularly care. Now, I've just mentioned these two as random examples. You'll find your own two in your life that are relevant to you. I'm using these two as the example for the point I want to make, which is this, that in one of those, you are a shayev meimecha. In the other one, you are a sheichem shivteichem. And let's say you've done both of theirs. So whoever you are, and whichever one of those two you think is important, you've done both of those Averis. In the past year, there was a time when you broke Shabbos, and there was a time when you didn't eat food which was to the highest level of kashras, or perhaps it wasn't kosher at all. Now, how should you do tshuva for those two things? If you're a person who understands the depth of his being that this is an Averis I never want to do, then the level of tshuva is going to be on that basis. And the other one, well, I'm not so fussy about that one. That's not so important to me, so I'm not going to worry about it. Actually, it's, it's the reverse. When it comes to doing the teshuva, you should make sure that you are completely focused on the one that you did, which is which for which you have a weakness. There now you have to be roshechem shiftechem. You've got to make sure to do teshuva at the highest possible level. What about the other one? Well, it's a shayev memecho type thing. Like it's not the biggest deal because you're not going to do that Avera again. You're very, very sorry already. And you're going to do teshuva, but you don't have to put so much effort into that one. You would think it was the opposite. I broke my cardinal Avera. I've done the thing that I said I would never do. Of course, you're never going to do it again because you already feel the pain and the shame of having done that Avera. That's a shayev memecho level. Don't worry about that because that's very simple. That's very black and white for you. But when it comes to the other one, that's Roshechem Shivteichem. That's the one you need to focus on because that's the one where your weakness is. That's the one where you need to train yourself not to have the weakness and to have a depth of understanding in that particular halacha. Whichever one it may be of those two, I've just used those two as examples. You'll have your own. That's the point the Nesiva Shalom is trying to bring out when it comes to tshuva. You're standing before God. It's Rosh Hashanah. And your tshuva has to be on the basis of all the different categories of who you are 
And now you have to tailor your teshuva process, because if you don't do teshuva properly, that in and of itself becomes a chait. That's why it says, each one has their level of doing teshuva in each level, in each part of who they are. And in understanding the depth of the chait, of the sin itself, and in front of whom you have sinned. And as the posse continues, it says as follows. In order for you to go into the bris, the covenant with God and and his the promise or whatever it is, but Allah say means like it, it, you're drawn into this agreement with Hashem. That's what that's what the bris, the covenant was with the Jewish people at that moment in their history, in our history, just before they came into Eretz Yisrael. Says the Nasivas Shalom, when he comes to Rosh Hashanah, there are two different aspects. There's the Inun Yom Hadin. There's the Inyan of, it's a day of judgment. It's a day of repentance. The Inyan, One thing is you've got to do tshuva. The other thing is you've got to renew your relationship with God. In fact, tshuva means two things. Tshuva means repentance and it means tshuva, returning to Hashem. That's what the root of the word is. That you need to use this opportunity to cleanse yourself of any dirt that may have accumulated over the past year and to renew yourself in terms of your relationship with Hashem. As we know that this in fact is exactly what Rosh Hashanah is about, is the Hachtorah, is the crowning of God as the great king, as the king of kings. What do we say? We're trying to crown Hashem in all his glory, that he should be crowned king. That's what we're trying to, we're trying to, in our thoughts, we're trying to create this concept of royalty, that God is the king. We're asking that God should rule over all of his creations in all his glory. That what they're doing on Rosh Hashanah is they are renewing, they are refreshing, they're pressing the refresh button. That's what they're doing. They're pressing the refresh button on their relationship with Hashem. They're renewing the covenant that they have personally. We are renewing our covenant individually with God, our God. The Isa B'Toras Oves, another one of the great Slonim Rebbes, the Toras Oves, says as follows, The original Sabakadisha of Slonim, the great uh, old man of Slonim, as he's referred to, Sabakadisha. He says as follows, Bepirish Hayoim Haras Oilam Hayoim Yamid Bamishpot. It says Hayoim Haras Oilam Hayoim Yamid Bamishpot Kolyutsuri Elomim Kavonim Kavodim. There's two ways in which the entire world is judged on Yom Kippur. We say, this is the, a short prayer that we say after we blow the shofar. Each time we say, Hayoim Haras Oilam Hayoim Yamid Bamishpot. And we say what? Im Kavonim Im Kavodim. Either like sons, like children. Or like servants, in fact, it's not that we're judged as both, as bonim or um, or and avodim. It's bonim or avodim. We judge everybody 
depending on what the level there are, they're going to be judged on the basis, maybe, if you are somebody that the only reason you keep the Torah, the only reason you have a relationship with Hashem is because you're scared of the consequences. You are worried that if you don't keep the Word of God, then lightning will strike you down. That's your, that's a level, that's like an Eved, that's an Eved relationship with Hashem. And he gets to Yom Hadin. This is a day of judgment. He comes like he's coming to a meeting with the IRS who's looking at his tax returns. And now you've got to make sure that you've crossed all your T's and you've dotted all your I's and that everything is 100% in order so that the IRS are not going to uh, indict you for uh, federal tax evasion or whatever it is. That's what you're scared of, and you have this fear. It's Yom Adin. Today is the day when I could be judged for something I've done wrong. I'm frightened, I'm fearful of the Yom Adin. That's one level. Or there's other people who have a relationship of Bonim, of children. What is that? When it's with your parent, your child, it's not the fear that drives you. You want a relationship with your parent. You want to have a loving, mutual, loving relationship with your parent. This is your mother. This is your father. That's, that's a relationship you have. You don't walk into a room with your mother and your father, at least as an adult. I don't know. As a child, maybe it's different. Maybe it should be different. I'm not here to talk about education. I'm talking about as an adult. You walk into your father's room or to your mother's room. What's the relationship you want to have? You want to be able to hug them, to kiss them, to have a depth of feeling towards them. It's a covenantal bond that you have. You don't even have to describe it. You don't have to define it. It's self-understood, the love and the affection, the emotional connection between a parent and a child. It's unbreakable. It's so firm. It's so special. That's the relationship you want to have with Hashem. Kebonim. You want to be like a child to Hashem. That's like a covenant between God and a Jewish person. That's, that's the ultimate. If you're an Eved, then you haven't reached the ultimate level. If all it is about uh, avoiding a tax evasion charge, that's not a relationship that you want to have. You don't want to treat God like the God is the IRS inspector. You want to be renewed like a new creation on Rosh Hashanah. You should have a new bond of covenant with God on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah. That, that should be, uh, become as unbreakable as it was in previous years when you achieved the same result. That's the ultimate form of success on Rosh Hashanah. We're going to leave it here for today. The Nesiva Shalom does continue. And the Nesiva Shalom is beautiful. You can find the rest of it, um, which is on the PDF on my website, or it's as a comment on the YouTube channel or on the um, SoundCloud channel. You can click on the link and you'll be able to read the rest of the Nesiva Shalom. But in the meantime, let me take this opportunity of wish wishing you Eksiva Vachsima Toiva. Lushana Toiva Tikoseva Sechosemu, the Alta Lachaim Toivim Ulushalim. You should have a beautiful year ahead of you. You should be like children of Hashem. You should be able to reach the level that you need to reach and do tshuva for every single aspect of your activities over the past year, which you felt have fallen short of what they should be. Each one done individually, whether it's Roshechem Shivtechem Ziknechem or Shoyev Memecha 
um, makes no difference. Whatever you are, whoever you are, wherever you are in the pecking order, Hashem wants to have a relationship with you and you certainly want to have a relationship with Him. We'll leave it here. Thank you.